Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Special welcome to Philippa at the back there, who's managed to hop all the way from Whitley <laughs> to join us this morning. Lovely to see you, Philippa. This morning, our theme, as it said at the slide at the top there, is the power of the tongue. And I'm going to give uh, sort of like four thoughts of the day uh, through the service. So rather than one sort of solid sermon or whatever, we're going to have four thoughts. And that's how the service will be structured. The tongue has got so much potential for good, but it also has an overwhelming power to bring discouragement and hurt. But one of the greatest things we can do with our tongues, with our voices, is praise God. So let's begin by praising God and worshipping him. We're going to sing Name of All Majesty. Do feel free to stand if you're able. And uh, over to you, Dave. thank you that we do have voices to praise you. We want to lift you high this morning. We want to give you thanks for all your goodness and your blessings to us. And we just want to honour and glorify your name. Help us to hear from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
just going to get Liz now to read a passage from scripture which is James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. Taming the tongue. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So our first thought is how do we control our tongues? How do we tame our tongues? The first two verses that are read uh, says don't presume to be teachers. So I think I'd better go tread gently here, uh, since that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> and it makes the thing that if you get your tongue in control, you're perfect, it says. Almost you're mature in Christ, because you're controlling your tongue and it controls the whole body. In verses 3 to 6, we see the incredible power of such a small member of our body in relation to our whole bodies. We have those two illustrations. First of all, that it's like a bit in a horse's mouth. Secondly, the rudder of a ship. And it reminds us that relatively small things effectively determine the whole direction of the animal or the ship. In the same way, what we say and how we say it often determines the direction we are going in and also what people think of us. The most vivid picture I find in that passage is that idea of a spark a spark setting a whole forest on fire. I don't really have ever had this problem, but I have it, I've had it quite often. The problem's quite simple. You think something, before you know where you are, you've blurted it out, and then you think, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Oh dear, I wish I could just grab the words and just bring them back into my mouth, and they never heard it. It's such a thing that uh, in J.B. Phillips' translation, he says, the tongue is always liable to break out. So be careful where your sparks fly when you say something with your tongue, because they have potential to cause an awful lot of damage. 
God is in the business of transforming our whole lives so that we become more like Jesus. And taming our tongue is something that we cannot do on our own. If you read the scripture, it says, no man can tame the tongue. So if you think you can do this on your own, you're living in a delusion. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it by sheer willpower. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. Last time I uh, led a service, I think I spoke about, uh, in the introduction to worship, about the fact that the overflow of the heart is what comes out of the mouth or out of the abundance of the heart. That's what you speak out. So what we really need, is all we all all need is a heart transplant. We need God to change us from within, so that when we speak out, we speak out helpful things and not destructive things. James reminds us also about how animals are trained. It's amazing, isn't it? If you see God, uh, Britain's Got Talent, I don't often watch it, I sometimes watch the final. But did you know that twice, in 2012 and 2015, the winners were a woman with a dog. The dog dancing with its feet. The dog twisting between her feet as she walks. Oh, Ashley and Pudsey, they beat poor Jonathan and uh, Charlotte, the uh, opera singers, and a dog wins. Well, how did that dog ever get to those tricks? How did it ever get trained? How did it ever get tamed? It's by rewarding the desired behaviour, isn't it? You reward when they do something right, you reward them with a little tidbit, and gradually they get the desired behaviour. And it's not a simple process. It doesn't happen overnight. So it's with our tongues. I think when you speak well, we should all be encouraging one another and encouraging the good behaviour. But we should also realise that it's a lifelong process. The Holy Spirit is transforming us. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, the final comment I have is the verses 9 to 12. It says that we shouldn't have a tongue that both praises our Lord and Father, which is what we've just done, whilst at the same time we use it to curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. What God's saying is, don't be inconsistent. Don't praise somebody one minute and then immediately walk over to somebody and give them a mouthful. It doesn't work. We need integrity in our lives. We need authenticity. And we need to walk the talk. So let us all ask God for God's help in taming our tongue and using it wisely. So that's the thoughts on taming the tongue. The next thought is, what sort of speech should we avoid? I'm going to ask Jonathan to come up and uh, read a few things that God doesn't like. Good morning. Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed 
innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feel, uh, scheme, feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. It's incredible really, isn't it? Of the seven things there that God doesn't like, three of them relate to this. Almost half of them relate to the way we use our tongues and speak. The Lord hates a lying tongue. The Lord hates a person who stirs up conflict in the community, dissension among the brothers. The Lord hates a false witness who pours out lies. Why does God hate those things? Well, obviously God, our Heavenly Father, doesn't I? Jesus spoke only the truth. In fact, when Jesus was challenged by some Jews in John 8, we read the following. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So who's your father this morning? Our heavenly father in heaven, God the heavenly father. Or is your father Satan? I hope not. (laughs) Because he's the father of lies. Jesus, on the other hand, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, the truth will set you free. Truth is so important. And that's why God hates lies. Last year was quite an eventful year, if you remember. We had a Brexit Remain vote. We had Donald Trump elected as President of America. But I don't know if you missed this one. One of the words that came out last year and became... The word of 2016 for the Oxford Dictionary was post-truth. Post-truth is an adjective defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, whether something is true or false, no longer seems important. We live in a post-truth society and standing up for truth is increasingly difficult. Instead, we now have fake news if you study your social media. Outright lies, half-truths are paraded before us, particularly when important decisions are to be made. The obvious example of this last year was the e-referendum. Both sides told lies. Instead of arguments based on truth and objective facts, we were presented with phrases that appeal to our emotions. Take back control! We're better together. Not objective facts, not truth, just appeals to our emotion. The final area in Proverbs 6 which mentions that God's hate is stirring up dissension among the brothers. Stirring up conflict in the community. Instead of conflict and strife, God wants us to be peacemakers. 
Matthew 5, we studied Beatitudes fairly recently, said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Another reason that God hates a person who stirs up conflict is that he's so passionate about unity. In Psalm 133, one of my favourite psalms, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Isn't that wonderful? Dwelling together in unity, being like-minded, not being in conflict and strife. Lying is something God hates. Another word for lying, especially when we're talking about other people, is slander. Colossians 3, 8 to 10 says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. These verses almost speak for themselves. How I would point out, it's not just what you say, but how you say it is important as well. There's such a thing as righteous anger, we know, because Jesus went to the temple, didn't he? And he turned over the money changers' tables. He was righteously angry. But what about some of our anger? It's probably based on being offended in some way, doing or something, someone's done something we don't like or said something we don't like. And what comes out of our mouth inevitably ends up being destructive and hurting the other person. Much better if we're in a rage or anger to count to ten and calm down before we open our mouths. The book of Proverbs, which we read from at the beginning there, has a lot of wisdom about the use of the tongue. And it mentions a lot of other things, These are like mini sermonettes I'm doing this morning (laughs) because there's so much in Proverbs and I just encourage you just to put in in the search engine or whatever you do the tongue in Proverbs and read what it says. It's amazing. You'll find it quite enlightening. I'll just mention two other areas of speech. They're closely related to lying. It says God hates deceit. Pretending to tell the truth when you're really lying. And the other thing it hates is flattery. The act of praising someone, often in a way that's not sincere, probably because you want something from them. So beware of flattery. Beware of deceit. Don't tell lies. That's the bad news. It's getting better soon. (laughs) But let's us, first of all, let's just have a prayer of confession. I'm sure many of us have told, could any of us, any of you put your hand up and say, I've never lied, never ever. I was treated as a child. (laughs) You didn't want mum and dad to know where you'd been or whatever. None of us are guiltless. But if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just and we'll confess, as we confess our sins, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's say the general confession together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you 
and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's sing a song of confirmation that we are forgiven. God forgave my sin. Let's stand and sing. The first thought was taming the tongue and how difficult that is without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The second one was a bit like a break. Put your brakes on in terms of lies and untruths and things like that, deceit, flattery. Put the brake on. We're now going to move into neutral gear. So the next bit is something which I first discovered, and I should have discovered it a long time ago probably, uh, on a Twitter from Nicky Gumbel. Um, but it's fairly widely available and quite a few of you may have seen it, but if you haven't seen it, it's worth seeing. It's not specifically related directly to a scripture, but it's just a word. It's a thought. Before you speak, think. And each of the letters of think are a mnemonic reminding us of the things we should think about. First of all, is it true? 
I've already mentioned lies and deceits are two things to be avoided. So if what you have to say is not true, do not say it. Don't spread gossip and slander. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. Secondly, H, is it helpful? Is what you're going to say going to help someone to be strengthened, to be built up? Will it help them grow in their walk with God? Will it help them through a difficulty or will it compound it? Just always think, is what I'm saying helpful? The third one, I, is it inspiring? I have two thoughts on this. Um, I'm afraid I never managed to get to the Olympics in 2012 whether in London. Did anybody do that? Anybody get there? Yeah? Excellent. Great. But along, because I signed up for the website thinking I might apply for some tickets, I got a lot of emails after the uh, Olympics had finished about be inspired. Because there was this desire that having seen the Olympics in our country, having seen these athletes who trained and built themselves up to the maximum they could do and seeking to win the race, that you would be inspired. To do what? To get out there, get out there, take up the sport, get healthy, seek to get to your maximum potential. So when you're speaking, are you going to inspire someone to help them grow and achieve their maximum potential? Because that's part of being inspired, being inspiring, to help people grow and reach their maximum potential. Another thought about inspire is... Inspiring is to breathe in. We breathe in. If we don't breathe in, we don't receive the oxygen and we'll very quickly die. (laughs) What a good idea. Well, unfortunately, do you, when you speak, breathe in life to others? Or do what you say to them suck life out of them? Make it inspiring. Breathe life into people. Bring blessing into people. The third one is really, as I said, a sort of being in neutral gear. Is it necessary? N, is it necessary? There's a couple of scriptures here from Proverbs. Proverbs 10. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. The more you say, the more it can go wrong. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And further on in Proverbs 17 it says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent, and discerning if they hold their tongues. So, if it's not really necessary, don't bother saying it at all. After all, if you keep silent... You might be thought wise instead of proving yourself to be a fool by opening your mouth. The last one, K, before you speak, is it kind? I think we all know when someone is being kind to us. Richard spoke last week about love without limits. Someone who's kind will go the extra mile. Someone who's kind wants the best for you. Someone who's kind is probably fairly gentle and gracious. 
There's an old word that I think also helps here. Benevolence. Yeah? It means wishing good on people. So be kind. Indeed, kindness, as you all probably know, is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, which we should all be producing because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So before you speak, think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I just want now to enter into a time of prayer. And I found a, there's a, I don't know whether you know, there's a book that Baptist Unions produced called Gathering for Worship, which some people up here use. And uh, I had a really great prayer that begins with God of kindness. So let's just pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. And after I've said this prayer, if anybody wants to pray for someone that's on their heart, some person that's on your heart, then we'll just have a short time of open prayer after that. So let's just pray together. God of kindness, you gave your only son because you loved the world so much. We pray for the peace of the world. Move among us by your spirit. Break down barriers of fear, suspicion and hatred. Heal the human family of its divisions and unite it in the bonds of justice and peace. We pray for our country. Enrich our common life. Strengthen the forces of truth and goodness. Teach us to share prosperity that those whose lives are impoverished may pass from need and despair to dignity and joy. We pray for those who suffer. Surround them with your love. Support them with your strength. Console them with your comfort. And give them hope and courage beyond themselves. We pray for our families. For those whom we love. Protect them at home. Support them in times of difficulty and anxiety. That they may grow together in mutual love and understanding. And rest content in one another. And we pray for the whole church. Keep her true to the gospel and responsive to the gifts and needs of all. Make known your saving power in Jesus Christ by the witness of the church's faith, her worship and her life. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do feel free to pray from your heart to our Lord and Father.
Lord, we pray for those who need your healing touch. We pray for George Hayes, Lord, at home with a badly bruised hip. Lord, we pray that you will place your healing hand upon him and strengthen him. And uh, Lord, just pray you also stop him going out without his frame. And Lord God, we also pray for June, Lord, who's still got a bruised uh, knee, Lord, from her fall. We pray, Lord, again for your healing to continue in her life and that you'll also heal the cold that she now has. And we pray for Philippa. Thank you, Lord, that she's here with us, Lord, this morning. We do pray for those bones to knit well together. We pray for complete healing for her leg, Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that her muscles will be strengthened so that walking eventually will be done as quick as possible, Lord, so she's restored to health and strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in a mode of prayer. You may want to stay seated for this song. It's uh, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. So we've had the uh, break, things to avoid. We've had the neutral, think before you speak. And here's the go, go, go.
These are the things that we really need to build up in each other's lives. And the thought is, how do we build each other up? A couple of scriptures first, from 1 Thessalonians. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And because of that, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you were doing. Good lot those Thessalonians, weren't they? They were doing what Paul wanted, encouraging one another and building one another up. Ephesians 4, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Isn't it wonderful to receive a word of encouragement? Oh, how much better it is to build others up than pull them down. One of the things I'm blessed with coming here was to be near our two grandsons. And I'm sure you've all done it if you've got grandchildren. They've got building blocks of one sort or another, be it Duplo, Lego, Mega Blocks, whatever they've got. And Granddad likes a challenge. The challenge is to build the tallest tower without it falling over. And so you get the blocks, you get the Duplo, you get the Lego, and you put a nice firm base at the bottom, and then you start building. And Granddad's very competitive with this. And he loves building the tallest tower. But as it rises and rises, as one block is put on top of another block, little Ben or Seb don't like Grandad winning. And so there's just... <laughs> and in one fell swoop, the whole lot comes tumbling down. While their little tar is still standing. <laughs> and they've won. <laughs> of course they have. I think that's a bit like what happens with encouragement. You know, you encourage somebody, you encourage them a bit more, they build stronger, they build bigger, they build better, and then, unfortunately, someone says something horrible to people, and the whole lot comes crashing down. Let's get creative and think of how we can encourage and build one another up. What do you appreciate about the person sitting next to you? What have you seen God doing in others' lives? Who have you thanked recently for what they've done to help the church, the community or their family? How precious it is when we encourage one another. I'm sure it brings a smile on our Heavenly Father because we're doing what he commands. I claim no originality for the next bit, but just to give you a few more ideas. Uh, I found on the uh, internet... 19 ways to encourage people. I um, reduced it down to 10. It came from a book that said 52 simple ways to encourage people. <laughs> so you're glad you got the edited version here this morning. <laughs> but it reminds us that encouragement comes from N core, to put into the heart. Yeah? Encouragement puts into your heart, into your innermost being. One of the ways you can encourage is to learn individuals' love languages, the special ways in which they feel most valued. In his book, The Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman explains that not everyone's emotional needs are met in the same way. And it's important to learn to speak other people's love languages. If you wonder what they are, they are words of affirmation, quality time, 
receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. That last one's a little bit sensitive, so before you all go around hugging everybody in sight (laughs) to express encouragement through physical touch, especially if it's the opposite sex, ask them. (laughs) Ask anybody, probably. The second thing is, if an encouraging thought comes to your mind, just share it. It's encouraging, it's going to build up, it's going to strengthen somebody. It may not have the same effect if you wait. Don't let shyness hold you back. I know this is not about the tongue, the next one, but how about sending flowers or a present, a gift to somebody? A surprise delivery makes any occasion or accomplishment feel more momentous. It's a tangible sign that you're thinking of someone, even when they're not around. Fourth one, remind fellow Christians of the specific promises of God and characteristics of God. We may know something in our mind, but we need to get it deep down in here. We need to get it stored up in our heart. The Apostle Peter wrote, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. It does us no harm at all to remind each other of what a great God we have, of how much he loves us, of how gracious he is. It does us no harm at all. It does us a lot of good. Fifthly, write someone a note to tell them that you're praying for them. And not just, God bless you. <laughs> tell them what you're praying for them about. Be specific. And be specific when you offer words of praise. It just makes that encouragement more credible and concrete. You did a great job at... I really appreciate that you... I was really impressed that you... Another one's very simple. Just be there for somebody. Realise the power of presence. Just being there is encouraging. When you're with others, you're telling them that they're important. Simply giving time to listen to someone can be both encouraging and healing. Number eight. If you're part of a church, I hope you are. (laughs) Or a home group. Or some other activity in this fellowship, whether it be friendship club or the bowls on Monday night, doesn't matter what you are, what you're involved in. Be committed to showing up. Do you realise that your presence here encourages other people around you to realise that you're part of a community of faith and that you're not on your own? You've got support, you've got brothers and sisters joined together with you in love. Another one, which I think is quite positive, is to use encouragement as a kind of outreach. If anyone should be known as an encourager, surely it should be us, as Christians. So how about writing a letter of appreciation to people you work with? Your manager, your child's teacher, your doctor. Often these people You expect something from You expect a service from them. How about instead just saying, thank you. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being there. 
And finally, when you see someone making positive changes in their life, affirm them. You remember one of the uh, love languages was words of affirmation. You seem to have a really great attitude about it. It may be that I'm just starting to take notice, but I see that you're nearly there. Colossians, last page, if we please to hear. <laughs> Colossians 4, 2-6, one of my favourite passages. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may, we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I absolutely love this passage. Probably a whole sermon. You could do a whole sermon on this, John, quite easily. <laughs> but just to unpack a little bit today, it says you can pray devoted for one another. Isn't that a fantastic privilege that we can use our words, unsaid or spoken, to pray to our Heavenly Father, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer. Use your mouth to pray. Pray without ceasing, it says in 1 Thessalonians. But Paul has a specific prayer, and this is something else we can do with our mouth, isn't it? A really go, go, go. He says, pray that God may open a door for his message. We've got good news. And we need to pray for doors to open. We need to pray for opportunities to open that we may declare that good news. Our conversation, though, is also to be full of grace, not harsh, full of delight, emphasising the wonderful grace of God who he freely gives to all who turn to him. But it's also to be seasoned with salt. We are the salt of the earth. So, lots of good things to do. Encourage, build up, feel ideas about ways of doing that. But also pray and proclaim the good news. Well, you've heard a lot, so it's your turn to do something. I just want you to spend a couple of minutes or so speaking in a word of encouragement, of building up to the person next to you, in front of you, wherever you want to turn, doesn't matter. I'm sure if you can't think of something, there's plenty of ideas I've given you. You can always remind them of a verse of scripture. You can always remind them of what God is like to them. You can simply say, I love you and I'm going to be there for you. I don't mind. But just speak to one another a word of encouragement.
Right, um, order, order. <laughs> Dare I suggest that's a weekly thing to do? <laughs> Maybe in a daily thing to do. Anyway, let's come to the end of our service. Let's uh, sing a final song. Go forth and tell. Let's stand and sing. keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and give you the power of the Holy Spirit to go and proclaim that good news. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks to all the guys who helped this morning. And if you do want prayer, do come to the front and John and Veronica are here to pray for you.